Hi, I'm Jason. And I'm Paul. And this is the Hi-Fi Sci-Fi Podcast. Uh, this week we're going to be talking about Season 2, Episode 15, The Horse, The Witch, and The Prime Directive. Jean-Luc, Jordy Specs, Mysteries on the Holodecks, Asteroids, Triple Droids, Telepathic Betazoids, Transporter, Deadly Claw, Visitor from L.A. Law, Photons, No Kirk, Captain Has Gone Berserk, Shuttlecraft, Council Troy, Dr. Crusher's Little Boy, Klingon Rights, Parasites, New Heights, Phaser Fights, Data's Head, Tasha's Dead, Wike is Hanging by a Thread, Celebration, Transformations, Everyone to Battle Station. Joining us for a Prime Directive episode is Dean. Dean, thanks for coming back to the show. Pleasure to be here, fellas. And uh, we were in the in the it's Mr. audio it's check. Mr. Tumnus. Mr. Tumnus. <laughs> Goodness. <laughs> Paul's still on his reference from the beginning of the show. For those of you who've moved on, we're going to attempt to do the same. Uh, Dean, when we were... Uh, when we were setting up originally for this uh, recording, you had said that you thought there were portions of this uh, discussion where you might get a little bit fired up. So I just have to ask, are you uh, are you a big prime directive person or uh, or what what particularly about pen pals uh, has got you fired up? Uh, yeah, man, I'm all about the prime directive. I it is the um would you say most important directive? Well, it is uh, yes. near the top. Based on its prime nature. <laughs> or it's just not divisible by anything. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, well, this is like, so a prime directive episode, we've had a couple of them. Um, and they've all been kind of weird. Um, as far we had as. more than one? We've had, um, so Symbiosis was the big one right uh justice was also a prime directive episode oh yeah 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 very um, very lightly yeah they referenced the prime directive in angel well, they one referenced it. yeah they, they, well both of those they reference it but they really don't know what it is it feels like uh too short a season was also a prime directive uh episode oh yeah huh yep. so we've had a couple so we've had a few of a season was a good prime directive reasonably good let me ask of, well, yeah. Yeah, let's get away from too short a season. is <laughs> is the prime directive is that a next generation creation or no. i mean we assume that it's been part of the federation forever but i don't recall in any of the original series episodes them talking about the prime directive uh the tos episode the omega glory yeah. Um, I believe mm -hmm. might be the introduction of the Prime Directive. Uh, there's a quote from James T. Kirk uh, where he basically says, A starship captain's most solemn oath is that he will give his life, even his entire crew, rather than violate the Prime Directive. So it, um, it's referenced in wow, that is a bunch of TOS episodes. That's quite a premise to, to, start, uh, to start this particular episode with. <laughs> <laughs> because apparently um, we've gone from that uh, hard line, you know, unilateral position to a my friend asked me for help. And so I said, OK, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because that is um, that's pen pals, right? Like 
uh, I, I mean, I kind of wrote this down, uh, something to the effect of the Prime Directive applies only if there's not a cute little kid at the other end of the radio, um, I guess. Is Data not programmed with the Prime Directive? Oh, that's a good question. Well, he would completely he would completely understand what it is, right? I mean, he so whether I don't think he would be necessarily programmed with it because he became a Starfleet officer after he was created, but if he's also, you know, uh, pretty rigid yeah, in his adherence to Starfleet codes of conduct, he seems to be the odd choice to be the person who's making covert communications for eight weeks uh, with a random child right. on a pre-war yeah, planet. Boy. <laughs> we are we are missing right. the, I mean we're missing the whole front end of the, this episode which to be fair I had forgotten existed and it's about <laughs> horses. It's about horses, gentlemen. Yeah. Barbie horse uh, trainer 2000 Barbie horse adventures yeah on yeah. the Nintendo Wii. Yep. Yep. Actually I think that was on the GameCube but I did So how do we google it? Do we go beat by beat here? How do we do this? No, we don't. So I mean we we can get right into it. This podcast presumes that you dear listener uh have watched the episode before our discussion. So if you haven't, uh you know, go back get familiar with pen pals. Um, <laughs> cuz at its core it is a it, it is a definitely a prime directive episode, but it's it's um it's a prime directive episode that is very cavalier with Starfleet's general order number one, we'll say. Um, I, I I don't know, like, and that's how you could describe all of season two. I think <laughs> cavalier. <laughs> yeah, there's just, I mean, this is about Data and Serjenka, right? That that's the core of this episode, and and then how uh -huh. that plays out with the rest of the crew. But there's so much extra stuff in this episode that I just totally forgot existed. Well, it's like 50-50, yep. though. It it probably should. The drama is all with the Data and Serjanka stuff, but you know, the you're, you're right, Paul. This episode does not start there. In fact, we don't even see... <clears throat> we don't even have them meeting until over halfway through the episode. There's all this other Wesley stuff that's happening. Yeah, that, that, and, I, and I remember the Wesley stuff. I just don't remember it being in this episode. Yeah. Um, and it's good Wesley stuff. It's about him learning to command a, a team of individuals, some who um, have more experience in certain areas, which is, you know, that's management. And it is a good lesson on how to manage some other people. And that's a good part. It's just, it, it's forgettable in this larger arc because it's so much about the Prime Directive, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But that's kind of good they, writing, right? Um, like, you'll see that in, like, if you go back and watch specific Seinfeld episodes, you'll go, oh, I totally forgot that this... Uh, particular sure. like B storyline sure. played in with this A storyline and they're both really memorable you know so I, I think that's okay that you didn't remember that it was the same episode yeah and I think it's 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 an it's very acceptable for the Wesley side stuff and they do tie it in because Wesley kind of solves part of this at the end um, not the prime directive stuff but he enables that to play out the problem is that it starts with what then has to be a C story, which is Picard and Troy and some horses, right? <laughs> Does that qual? I mean, I don't know if that qualifies to the level of a C plot. It's like two scenes. It's two scenes. He brings it up later. He's like, well, in solving this problem, we much, must think about the ways that we treat horses and the old horse adage that you should always eat carrots. <laughs> <And it's> like, <laughs> yeah, that's what he said. 
<laughs> I can't remember what he said, but like it, it comes up later, and it's like, oh, that's a little weird. But well, the, the, uh, something about the old adage of uh, too much weight on a young back. Oh yeah, um, yeah, that's right. Is, yep, is yep, essentially yep. What, what he. <laughs> okay, well, let's. <clears throat> Paul wants to talk about horses, so let's talk about horses for a second. Not really, I think we're done with it, but sure. <laughs> <laughs> I I want to specifically point out the very first scene where um, Picard discusses horses and the the tone uh with which he discusses horses and and his i mean man there's being into horses and then there's really being into horses and i i don't know i got kind of a weird vibe uh from from picard and uh and him (laughs) talking about horses like i was a little and, and and so you know what's I have a lot of questions about that scene. A, one, what's Troy doing there? Um, yep. You know, B, like... <laughs> I think that's called exposition. Yeah. Well, that's well. true. Yeah, yeah. But so, also, so- why did they write her dialogue in such a way where um, she didn't clearly understand? Like, she just seems like, ooh, horses, you know? Like, <laughs> as if yeah. someone who's just been so- dropped into this reality. So much so that her response to Picard... Um, when he says something about the bond between a rider and the horse, she, like, literally, I think, says, I'm paraphrasing maybe slightly, I had a kitten once. Oh, yeah, because I have a note about, no, <laughs> she does not say, kitten. yeah, she does not say she has a kitten. She said she's a betazoid kitten. Yeah. Which raises a whole different chain of evolutionary <laughs> questions. But I, I think the specific problem I have with the horse scene is that Picard is sold as someone who is not just kind of into horses and it's it's believable that we have not seen him do this in the season we've seen because he's been busy right and if you get really busy and this is a tertiary hobby um, he could start this and say ah I haven't been on a horse in so long and I've just finished this program I'm gonna I'm gonna test it out this feels like something that he does at least weekly right that is the level of of fever he has for this yeah. and yeah. that it, he is displaying and then it is then not believable that we have not seen them do this in a season so in a half almost two seasons i'm gonna postulate this alternate theory um and i, I just want to see if you guys think this is credible if you want to go with it or, or push back or, or what have you um i'm gonna i'm gonna introduce this as a captain picard character flaw <laughs> And um, his character flaw is that he he wants people to believe that he is more into horse riding than he actually is. And I will cite as evidence, Paul, what you just brought up in so much that we have not seen him do this much to this point. Um, and that also in future episodes, he will reference himself as a serious writer, but in a way that you're never quite sure if he's just using it to get out of a dinner party or oh, yeah he's like i have to go shampoo my horse's mane <laughs> yeah yeah i have yep. to go get my saddle you have your own saddle oh yes every serious rider has one i'm just going to i'm going to plant that seed now cuz this is the first we've seen of picard being a horse Boy, rider i like it I yeah like it. It, it, and let's pick also, it up every okay, time it comes back at up. the same time <laughs> at the same time in the in the first next gen film in generations mm mm-hmm. mhm there, there is very prominent horse riding. Yeah. Oh yeah, and oh yeah. He does very well. Yep, but it's in the Nexus. Oh, ooh, oh. interesting. 
That's true. Yeah. That's true. Because <laughs> right, the Nexus, it's all about like he always wanted a family. He always wanted these yeah. things. He always wanted to be a good horse rider. It's wish fulfillment. And he's never put in the time. He's only just, yeah, I like it. I like it. So, okay. So we're going to. That's right. Because he completes that jump and he's very surprised by it. Yeah, he's that, like, I can't that's Shatner. That was Shatner. That was Shatner. No, Kirk, Kirk completes the jump. Yep. 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 But I, I'm just gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna plant this seed and we're gonna we're gonna because this episode I think it works. Um next time it comes up, we'll see. Let's just keep revisiting. It's a little heavy handed to start the episode with this. That's yep. what I'll finish with. It's it's yeah, yeah. That's fair. Yes. Yes. And, I think and, I'm required to be on all horse related episodes now, right? <laughs> that's uh that's what it is. This is being uh, written into so the bylaws. Uh, the next one podcast. coming up, I think the horses of command. Uh, it's coming up, right? So. <laughs> yeah, that sounds right. Yep. <laughs> sounds good. So here's horse, what I found hunt. interesting about this horse scene is that when when Riker calls him, just as he's about to to get up in the saddle, literally and a leg says, up, Hey, there's yeah. some there yep, there's something interesting, you need to come to the bridge. He doesn't say computer end program. No. He says <laughs> instead he says, "He says, all right, I'll be there." And then he grabs the uh, the the like leish that's holding the horse to the to the thing. I obviously I have no know nothing of horses. <laughs> I wish uh, I could help you. He grabs the leash and re and hooks the horse back up to the to the fence post. Yes. So there's one of two things going on here. Either the um, the the what do you want? The holodeck is so believable that you forget that it's not real possible which is possible yeah or um in filming they were like oh we can't leave this horse just lying around like this (laughs) it might run away (laughs) or i'll postulate a third alternative here as well that horse lives on the enterprise the horse is real the holodeck is not oh yeah that was the horse deck right next to the the horse um, the fencing deck (laughs) Uh and the um I would accept that if no, he, uh, wow, if he didn't order the... specifically this horse. <laughs> that's fair. That's that's a good point. He did actually call up that horse specifically. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I caught yeah, that. Because they tried to offer him some sort of Klingon thing, and he was like, no, no, give me an Arabian horse. <laughs> English tack. I want to handle the animal myself. He And so, again, I just, yes, you're right. You're recalling all these specifics that he seems to like. He has the air of, every time it's presented, that he is a serious horse rider. Well, he has the air the... of someone who read all the Wikipedia entries and really mm-hmm. wants to impress people. You know, I, I just, oh, man. <laughs> yeah, it's the jack of all trades, master of all trades. I, I wrote down like polymath score up. Like <laughs> we're we're getting there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he um he is pulled away from horse business for ships business, and ships business is, um you know these two different plots that will essentially come together from different angles, and and the science mystery of why are all these planets turning into giant you know lava balls um because they used to be purdy um and then data's side project with uh high-powered sensors in google translate and (laughs) i think i think that is kind of a good way to construct an episode and i do think the 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 wesley stuff particularly the way that they handle the character of wesley which is you know, here's a kid. He's a boy genius, but let's let's push him beyond his comfort zone. Let's get him ready for the world. I really feel like the feeling of family in this episode comes through pretty strongly. Um, yeah, I I like that. I I actually I really like the way they handled Wes 
in that the people that he got on his team weren't dicks to him. Right. Like he didn't have to um he didn't have to go to Riker and be like, "Oh, my team won't listen to me at all." He went to Riker and said, "Oh, I don't feel comfortable giving, you know, orders to these people cuz I don't have any right to be there." And I think that was totally legitimate. And then when he did give an order, even though it was kind of dickish in the way that he did it, um the guy was like, "Yep, okay." Yeah, I go. felt that, and that then, second. And then at the end gives him credit. Yeah. yeah, that second where he comes back and the guy has, has before has been like, well, I really don't think we need to do it and I'd rather not. And then Wes says, okay. And then when he talks to Riker and comes back, yeah, I thought that was really powerful that the guy was just like, yeah, sure, I'll do it. Like, I gave you my advice, but you're in command of this. And that shows a lot about how this command structure holds up and how people view uh, the roles in this. And it, it, yeah, it's a great, great interchange. Yeah, it does a lot to reinforce the conversation that Wes has with uh, Counselor Troy and Riker before he gets into this, which is just, you know, what happens if they don't agree with me or what happens if they and, and Riker just says to him, Wes, these people are professionals. Um, and, yeah. and I feel like that was uh, definitely shown on screen that um, that that came through for sure. Um, and the. <laughs> the 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 team seems to work pretty well. I I felt this is also an episode where the the scientific angle of Starfleet is on display pretty well because the team that he put together not only seems um you know excited about what they're doing and and fairly knowledgeable but you know you see brainstorming happening. You see them working through a problem, talking it out through um you know, this is kind of one of those rare episodes where you see decisions and recommendations come from people that aren't just the core cast. You know, these yeah, these yeah. people who are on Wes's team are, you know, pivotal to the plot, really. So much so that they come up with, you know, ultimately the solution to saving um, Sarjenka's planet, uh, basically. Yeah, it's a nice reminder that there are like 400 officers on this ship right yeah i was yeah. about to make that same point that's a great point dean this is something we haven't talked about in a while but like season one they were really struggling to make it seem like the ship was full and when you bring in four random people and say yeah these people were always here and we're going to use them now but we don't always have to see them that really does a good job and they've been doing a lot better in second season but they struggled with that for a long time mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um i want to talk about the um <laughs> The core of this episode, which is really Data and and Sarjenka. Um, so, <laughs> good, bad, or ugly, um, how do you feel about how that plays out in terms of how it's introduced and then uh, how it continues through the through the episode? I really... I, I like that this episode is about the Prime Directive, and in order to do that, you have to do something that calls the prime directive into question but i hate the way it's done i hate that it's data and i hate that uh that uh, <laughs> i hate that it, they don't really take the prime directive seriously and uh i just it, it the episode works but i think and we'll get to that probably later but i don't like I don't like the way they go about this. What do you guys think? Yeah, it's Paul. It's I would say sloppy here yeah. and there. Yeah, but I mean, I, I think if you, yeah, go for it, Burns. Well, I, for me, I I watched this episode a couple of times, and and the first time it kind of came across as 
the same tired prime directive stuff that we've seen, which is just like, oh, but the rules say, oh, but we have to help. Um, but I, the more I thought about it, the more I started to realize that um, is, is the prime directive, is the episode the problem or is the prime directive the problem? And I sure. could not effectively answer that question. <laughs> um, That's really fair. Yeah, I mean, because I've been a Star Trek fan for a long time, and uh, the Prime Directive has been a thing for for a really long period of time. But I feel like this episode is the one where the more you mull it over, uh, the more you really start to question, ultimately, um, you know, w what's in that Prime Directive? <laughs> you know, well, like, yeah, yeah. What, uh, yeah, where yeah. does it start? Where does it stop? Because it seems like they're always, it's always put out there as a barrier to prevent them from doing the obviously morally correct thing or what most people would look at as the morally correct thing. And it's like, I, I, I begin to question <laughs> what the morality of the directive itself, I guess. And, and this one is good. Yeah, th I think this one is unique and good because puts it in that place it, it gives it a face and it says it wharf is embodying the prime directive right because when they yeah. start talking about this wharf says no like the prime directive says this and this means this this is a line yeah i think he solid. says that it's absolute yes mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. yeah and and to keep pushing this um other people, you see them, they're starting to bend, and, and I, they don't really show Worf that much more, but I don't think he would. He is saying, no, this is absolute. This is what the Prime Directive is. And in a lot of episodes, especially the ones we've seen, like we've been talking about the Prime Directive, and the show has been talking about the Prime Directive in this vague way, and it's like, oh, well, we shouldn't interfere with these people, but nobody's really getting hurt, and even if people get hurt, it's a society or it's adults uh, is a large part of this. And at the end of the day, if you say, well, we have to let a planet get destroyed and there's a culture on it, the question is, okay, we're going to kill all these people or allow all these people to die. And then within that is, well, even the kids? <laughs> and that's where this episode sits, is the question, yeah. even the kids? <laughs> like, we're even going to let all the kids die? And to put one kid in there now raises an interesting question, right? Yeah. Well, and I feel like this episode is is at its best when it is asking the questions. And I feel, if anything, I feel like the episode falls short because it doesn't spend enough time with the questions. Yeah, because I I feel like the that <laughs> that weird buffet that Picard had in his quarters. Because <laughs> like Jordy randomly just gets up <laughs> and gets snacks. Like <laughs> I was just like, oh, oh it's, yeah, it's, the chocolate fountain I thought was really weird. <laughs> I'm like, we're not only it's having such, it's such poor direction from from whoever directed that episode because i get it that jordy can go get a snack or whatever because he's already standing but then while uh dr pulaski is making a point she gets up and casually crosses the room to to enjoy another snack and she's trying to make a really important point and it's so distracting <coughs> like if you directed that scene uh that way in like a in like you know, a first year directing class, they would kick you out of school. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's such, it's such a poor like juxtaposition 
and it's it's completely in- unintentional for her to just casually go over and get something while the captain is sitting in his chair. You know, it's <laughs> I thought it's it was, really I thought it was worse. I thought it was worse when Riker got a sub completely prepared <laughs> by a subway sandwich artisan, uh, 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 and he was he was he was doing it in the side quietly, but. <laughs> It was distracting. It's just nice to know that Subway exists in the 24th century. No, yeah, man. they. I mean, it, it, the the small part was you could see they bring back the gouge cut, you know, when they cut <laughs> the bread back. Because this was the 80s when it still existed, so the gouge it never cut. went away. Oh, my God. As opposed to the hinge cut. Yep, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. because yeah. back in the yep. 80s, they didn't yep. know that it, it was going to disappear in the 90s, so... Welcome to the Sandwich Guys <laughs> podcast where we talk about sandwiches and sandwich cuts. Uh, <laughs> How do you feel about hoagies? <laughs> I, um, I, w- I would like to also point out that the only other thought that crossed my mind was that they are literally deliberating over the future of an entire planet and the species over it, and they're just gobbing on snacks the whole time. Like right. They may as well have had Riker there with his shitty little cook station and been like, let them eat omelets. You know, like they just come across <laughs> as like these unfeeling, uncaring monsters, like just enjoying their infinite resources and be like, mm, should we save them? I don't know. So in later episodes, we get really used to seeing the um, conference room. And yeah. in this episode, we saw the conference room in the first part where they're deciding Wesley's fate. And uh, which that scene bothers me anyway. But we we don't have to talk about it. <laughs> let's all but, let's all talk um, about him while he's not here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so they they show it in that early scene. I think that because you know next gen was still sort of immature at this point, they said to themselves, "Well, we already had a conference room scene. What are oh, we going to do? We yeah. can't have him sit around the table again in another scene." And so they were like, "Oh." You know, snack time. Okay, that sounds good. <laughs> snack and party I in the captain's in, quarters. Snack party. Yep. Right. Let's do it. In later seasons, they would just have put that in the conference room again. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> and, and and I think you know I I did kind of do both sides of that that argument, but I do think that you know snacks aside, I do think they're asking interesting questions about the prime directive. I just feel like they mow over them very quickly, you know? Um, There's a really relevant discussion to be had there in terms of, you know, any policy um, and and its extremes. I feel like Picard is is probably bringing up some of the best points when he he brings up, when he throws out his his thought experiments, right? When he says, well, what if it's this? Well, what if it's this? Well, what if it's this? You know, he basically saying, you know, you take any example and then you change it slightly, change it slightly again, change it slightly again. You know, he makes a really good argument for absolutes versus shades of gray. Um, and I feel like he did a good job mediating that discussion. I just kind of wish we would have seen more of it. You know, I, I feel like episodes like Measure of a Man are, are really interesting because the central question there is really grappled with. You have characters passionately arguing for, against both sides, uh, you know, that kind of thing. I feel like here there was even more ground to talk about, you know, do we act or don't we? But instead there's, there just wasn't as much time given to it as I would have liked. I well, and we, if we had shaped off that time at the beginning with the horses, that, that buys you <laughs> yeah. probably three for a minute. Right? <laughs> yep. Um, I found some time. <laughs> yep. Like, yeah, it's it's not hiding here. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, you're right. There, there's much more to dig into that they could be discussing. And they, they go off on tangents. They talk about philosophical aspects when they should be talking about this, this, this rule. But the Picard parts that you brought up are so good in, and they don't dig into it enough. Yeah. To talk about this as, what if it was a disease? What if it was a war? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Where is the line where we say, okay, this is the thing we'll let go? Um, yeah. And that, it's a good question. It's a good question, and, and it raises the question of, like you said at the beginning, how um, practical is something like the Prime Directive if every time we reference it, we're breaking it? Yeah. Yep, exactly. Well, and um, the I director... Oh, I think ahead. it's super valuable to ha- that they have this discussion uh, during that period in the buffet room. Um, <laughs> and I, I, I do think it's like uh, it's the most meat uh, that we get into in the buffet room. But, but uh, the, the thing that bothers me about it is Dr. Pulaski, because she's the thing that bothers me the most probably about season two in general. <laughs> Um, yes. Because she's just a poorly crafted character, and I yeah. I don't know who's to fault for that. I don't know if it's the actress is saying I want to say it this way, or if it's the writers saying we're going to give her the worst dialogue, or or what it is. But she's a seasoned Starfleet officer, presumably more seasoned than even Picard, and uh, just based on ages, and she is the one that's going. Well, this is a dumb policy. I yeah. don't want to do anything with this. Where this is like the central question that they have to answer, not just in this episode, not just on this ship, but throughout all of Starfleet. And uh, and she's just so very willing to throw it away and uh, and to be very um, to be very uh, like. Uh, arrogant about it to say, well, obviously we can't follow this policy, yeah. even though it is the one central tenet of Starfleet. Yes. And uh, yeah. it, it really bothers me that they have a, that they put a character in that position. They could have easily put a civilian character on the ship to serve that purpose, and yeah. it would have made way more sense. Yeah, and it's it's a tricky part uh, when you start to think about the core cast. Um, and I do think it is smart that they put Data as the person who made contact, right? Because anybody else, it carries much more weight from the start. Like, Wesley would know not to do this. Um, Jordy would know not... Anybody else would know not to do this. Um, and Data, in that way, is... Well, like, like you said, isn't he programmed with the Prime Directive? And, and realistically, maybe not. And he's been taught it, but he also has this curiosity, has this childlike curiosity that it's much more believable coming from him than anybody else. But then when you try to set up someone to say this is dumb, there really isn't anybody left to say that because they're all seasoned Starfleet officers. What about Wes? What if, what Actually, if Wes... Well, and that would Wes. be the trick. Yeah. Yep. Wes would be the one who... Yes, Wes is the one who is probably the best to put in that, and they've already wasted him on th- this B-plot. Right? He can't be in the B-plot yeah. and that person arguing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because it's it seems way more believable that uh, to me that Wes would have answered that call. Yeah. yeah. Not thinking, you know, um, and or that and he'd be arguing as Pulaski, because he's a child. Pulaski's arguments. I, I I would accept that he should be the one. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Basically, that Wes, because he, you know, what we're really talking about here is is dogma, right? I mean. Yes. That re- regardless of, of uh, whatever your your organization is that you're a part of, Starfleet is a big organization, and at, at this point in in Star Trek history, uh, it has a lot of history to it. 
And they have built up the Prime Directive to be a thing that is, I mean, you don't get it to be, you don't get a thing to be Starfleet's general order number one without there being A, some history associated with it, and B, having it been around for a long time. Um, so yeah, I think, Dean, your point of of, uh, of Dr. Pulaski makes total sense. I mean, she's been a career Starfleet officer for this long, and she's just like, that's dumb. It's like, no, you wouldn't have hung around this organization that long with the idea that the one thing we tell you not to do, you're like, yeah, it's dumb. That's my complaint about her throughout the her tenure on the show, is that she seems to be there to serve the purpose of, uh, well, that's stupid, you know? I don't agree yeah. with Well, another that, time yeah. she hasn't been. This one feels very much this one feels very much like um that it probably came down to a gender decision, right? That they were like, well, who should be the person who's caring? Oh, the female characters. And then they said, well, can Troy do it? And, they, and it's, well, no, she's not allowed to display emotion. So Pulaski's <laughs> the only one who could get angry about anything, right? That yeah. really yeah. feels like yeah. what the discussion but might have been. But she also She's also the naysayer in uh, the first discussion about Wes's command. Like, uh, I don't remember exactly yeah, yeah. how they're describing it. She comes around. She says, okay, you have a good point. Very I'll, quickly, yeah. I'll support this. But but she does say, oh, well, this doesn't make any sense. And, you know, we've all been that person. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> uh, she shouldn't be because she's the most seasoned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and it, I think a lot of that uh, comes down to, you know, I, I mean, I would guess it's the writing because they sort of, it seems like Dr. Pulaski was introduced because somebody watched some original series uh, episodes and went, well, Dr. McCoy was the doctor and he was really cranky and kind of contrarian, so we'll do that. Um, yeah. But they don't do it from a perspective that's authentic it just they they don't the character yeah. doesn't seem to have a whole well, lot and i of think when you have and mccoy mccoy isn't contrarian to everything either right he's consistently contrarian yes um and here like she's defending data and saying data's emotions are important and and we go back what maybe 10 episodes uh, we might have to go back yeah about 10 episodes she's saying that data doesn't have emotions and he's not a real person right <laughs> right and right. and and sure other things have happened then measure of a man has happened but but she flip-flops a lot to fit a, into whatever the plot needs her to be that week and yeah. some of that seems like it's trying to make her more likable we've seen that in a lot of episodes um but consistency is really what they needed to stick with um yeah, yeah. and Doctor Crusher also serves that purpose a lot of the series, and they do it in a in a much more believable manner. She has partially probably because they build a relationship like a previous relationship with her and Picard. I don't mean romantic, just that there's history there, and so she has his ear and can uh, countermand yeah, yeah. or or at least contradict his uh his orders a little bit um and there are great episodes about that well do you feel like um maybe that's the edge that they're missing that um you know if if dr crusher gets to get away with that in in episodes that she's in is it because she is less of an outsider because i feel like that's also working against pulaski that even though she's here and by this point in in season two we're like 15 episodes in she should theoretically be much more established than I think she is, but she just is kind of perpetually the outsider. I mean, do you think that that's part of it? Well, 
the problem is it almost needs to be an outsider that does this, right? It needs to be somebody like Worf who isn't human. Right. Um, but again, then Worf, Worf is the one who is most likely to be kind of adherent to all the rules. Yeah. Just like, I don't know. I don't know where that, that ends up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, um, so we eventually, we wrestle with this over snacks. Uh, snack time concludes. Uh, we are about to turn off the communicator, which I thought was an interesting choice where it's like, Data, turn that thing off. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and then... So all he the turns it on. Yeah, and then he turns it on to turn it off. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Whoops, dial. I, I forgot. Lefty, lefty, loosey, ready, tidy. I forgot the dial goes that way. I, I feel like that's a little bit of a cop-out, right? That, like, everybody's like, nope, nope, we've solved this. <clears throat> Data, you must turn off this communicator. And then all of a sudden... Data, oh, I'm so scared. Why did you leave me alone? I'm so afraid. Everything's exploding. Um, And then they're like, I guess we have to do stuff. (laughs) Well, and that's Uh. the place where, I mean, it's a good, it's a means to an end, right? The end is, does the prime directive say that you you will allow anything to die that has not reached inner interplanetary travel i guess i don't even know where the line is at this point yeah i mean pre-warp um, civilization yeah basically okay or, or that has an understanding of the federation yeah right? would that yeah. also be any knowledge of the universe as it is basically right um yeah so then that's a, that's the question that's the the that's the crux of this episode um and you have to do that. You have to have that voice in the room to do it. And it's kind of dumb that that's the way they do it. But <laughs> it does set up a good question. Yeah. Yeah. I do feel like we get episodes later in... Um, they don't really deal with the Prime Directive a lot in DS9. But we do get episodes later in Voyager. Yeah. Um, yeah. Especially because they're coming across a lot of civilizations that they've never met before. They're, they're post-warp c- civilizations. But um, or not post warp, but they're they're post pre warp capable, whatever. Uh, they're warp capable situ- civilizations. But we get a lot of situations where basically Janeway goes. Um, it might not be specifically the prime prime directive, but we can't interfere in their societies because it's their culture, it's their society, and uh, and. Maybe that's just an evolution of the writing about Prime Directive, but that's also it's also what gives me like a hard time with this particular episode because like so he contacts her whatever that like they don't I don't know the Federation likes to let things play out the way they're going to play out. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's implemented inconsistently, just as we've said. But, like, I don't have sympathy for this planet that is dying and for this little girl and for Data feeling bad about it. Uh, I'm, I'm, on a, I'm, I'm taking a hard wharf line on this, I think. <laughs> well, <laughs> wow. And, I mean, that's Old the skills. trick, right? They go to such lengths, like, they have Picard sends... Um, Riker to the teleporter to send data down instead of O'Brien. And it's like, look, you're going to have to write this up, right? Like, this is going in a log. Do you think that uh, it feels like there's no consequences at the end? And if the prime directive is as hard as this, as everybody's saying, Picard knows that this is going wrong and that they're doing things they shouldn't. Right. It feels like at the very least data is getting written up for this. Mm-hmm. And 
but mm-hmm. and really, it should be Picard. It, it feels like there needs to be another episode of this later on where, where that shoe drops. And someone in the Admiralty says, hey, this thing you did, let's talk about that. Right? Let's, th- what happened here? Uh, or they just wipe this from the logs and there's a conspiracy about it. Right? It doesn't feel like this episode wraps and they get to walk away from it at the very least. Yeah, because of how hardline this is supposed to be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was thinking about performance reviews for captains from the various yeah. series, <laughs> and uh, and I think that um, that violating the number one rule um, is you had one probably job. Very yeah, yeah, serious. There was the one. <laughs> Yep. Well, there's also the Omega Directive. He's not violating the Omega Directive yet, but well, that, that fair, fair. Uh, but but if you look at if you look at all five um, to date, all five crews uh, in TOS, TNG, uh, Voyager, and Enterprise, they violate the Prime Directive almost on a weekly basis. Sure, whether sure, it's right? uh, whether it's you know in big scale yeah. like this or in small scale where they crash land on a planet with a pre-warp society uh, by mistake, uh, you know, hey man, I get it, it's a mistake, but you still introduce technology to uh, these uh, and just let people know that there are aliens out there. You know, it's it's a big deal. Um, so really, Cisco is the only one that kind of gets off without that problem because he doesn't really run into any new cultures. He's always talking to cultures that we're already talking to. So, yeah, that's yeah. a good point. I, I can't think of any any deep DS9 <clears throat> Prime Directive episodes, right? Yeah. Uh, well, okay, so uh, yeah. So I do want to I want to throw this out here and I just I want to I want to take a stance on the Prime Directive that I have not up to this point taken and I also want to see how this plays out for the rest of our our journeys through Star Trek. Um I'm just going to throw out there that the Prime Directive um, is uh, completely BS. Um, I think that I think that it is a rule that they readapt and re uh, rejigger so many times that it is essentially nonsensical. Um, because I've previously on this show made the assertion that well, it only it, it only uh, you know applies to pre-warp civilizations. Um, that will be contradicted uh, uh, contradicted later um, when we get to the Klingon Civil War stuff in the next generation. Mm-hmm. Um, Picard yep. will make a direct reference to the Prime Directive and say that Starfleet cannot get involved with a political struggle of one of their major allies because it is, quote, internal to the Klingon Empire. Um, so it clearly also yep. has some ramifications for uh, warp-enabled cultures. Yeah, let me let me pitch that the horse scene at the beginning is actually a perfect analogy for how they they play around with the prime directive in that they treat it like it's something they use all the time and that they know a whole bunch of stuff about it <laughs> and that, and that it's well seasoned, but they actually only use it here and there and then when they actually try to practically use it they just sort of forget about it and walk away. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> because it, it's the whole idea that if this was in practical use for a decade, not even to say a hundred years. Um, if this was in practical use for a decade, these sorts of situations would come up and captains would do what they felt was right and they would get 
say, kicked out of Starfleet, or there would be a trial or a court-martial, and Starfleet would have to grapple with these issues, the issues that are being grappled with here. And it gets very hard to believe that Starfleet would keep being on the side that says that you have to go against all these um, all these decisions, right? Because this, even this one, where it's kind of like, well, would it say that you have to kill children? We, you could think of worse situations that are going to come up. Um, and to not have any flexibility. I see where they're coming from. And I, I agree with you, Dean, that this is, a, this is something where you either do kind of have to say all or none. But then for it to work in practice, it just gets harder and harder to believe that it has. Right? Just like it's yeah. hard to believe that Picard has think, actually been riding a horse every week. <laughs> <laughs> I think that it's possible that the Prime Directive is there um, to save the conscience of these explorers. So Sure, and Picard says it's there to protect you, them, right? It, yeah, it, it's exactly. Because you can't... You can't get involved in every single struggle. There will always be a war. There will always be natural um, or unnatural geological uh, incidences, incidences, in things happening. And uh, I, his stuff, yeah. And I think that I think that it's it's sort of the way that we we live our lives, right? Like very few of us will pass. You know, say um, uh, uh, someone with a, you know, begging on the street uh, and give each and every single person that we see a quarter or a dollar or whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. And and part of that is is not that we don't feel for that person, but that we have to build up sort of a shield against feeling too much so that we don't like wallow in our own pity for another person and i i feel like that's a little bit callous but i think that that's maybe the intent of the prime directive uh, from starfleet is to say that's probably in there unfortunately right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah like like i feel i feel terrible that there that there are people that i pass every single day and occasionally i'll give them you know uh like a banana or whatever I happen to have with me. And then other times I just have to keep walking and I don't want to, to feel like I have to do that. But if, if I feel with my whole heart for all of these people, just as if they feel with their whole hearts for all of these cultures that are going to be bygone, they wouldn't get anything done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and there'd certainly be, yeah. The, the question is what is Starfleet's mission? Um, and I guess they do talk about it quite a bit. Um, but the idea of where do you draw that line, yeah, it gets tricky. And in, in the mission statement that they have of, of, ex- of exploring and, and meeting new cultures um, and then that sort of exploration of the universe, especially to meet new life, um, it's odd to then say we want to meet new life. But we can't help you. <laughs> but but is it, uh, only the life that has gotten up to here, right? You must be this tall to get on this ride. Well, they um, do. No, they, it's, it's they weird. I'll push back against that. They do have, and this gets a little creepy and almost big brother ish, but they will have episodes where they research, yeah. um, who watches the watchers. Sure. Yeah. Pre warp civilizations and the way in which they do that is also questionable. So, I mean, like, exactly. I, I feel like, um, 
you know, it's like that whole, like, it's turtles all the way down. Like, it's just yep, contradictions yep. all the way down. Like, the further you dig into the Prime Directive, the weirder it gets. And and I will, I will pivot this conversation slightly to the close of this episode because... You know, Paul, you were talking about consequences. I believe their their uh, their effort to try to get out of any ramifications or consequences of breaking the Prime Directive deals with um, involuntary non-consensual brain surgery on a child. Oh, wow. How, how have we com Ooh. completely forgotten yeah. that to this point? <laughs> wow. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because... <laughs> Right? How did we get also, to this point the in the doctor, conversation? That's how deep this this conversation is about this episode, because we have not talked the about does, that. <laughs> she doesn't even feel confident that she can do this. Right? She says, right. "Yeah, I think it'll work." Yeah, wow. I mean, kind in of okay. Most, or in you the could lobotomize wavy, Yeah, in the most hand wavy way possible. Um, and and I mean, I. I give medical criticism of the medicine they use a lot, but I was hanging out with a, a doctor friend this weekend and he was watching and also said, yeah, this is ridiculous. Like the, the, the way she's going to get it, it is what like chemical, the chemical traces, the ones that are the newest because all memories are encoded chemically and the synapses will be fresh or something. It's like, the, that's not how brains work. And maybe, yeah. maybe even if that was how human brains work and it's not, there's no reason to believe that you understand how this new race of aliens' brains work. Yeah, I'm sorry. I should have included uh, experimental. So it is... Uh, <laughs> yeah, it she's is... like, I guess I could try this thing. <laughs> <laughs> sure. And that's and then we're just like, well, that's all wrapped up in a nice little package. I mean, they have the child there on the actual table, and they're just like, yeah, we're going to scan you. Make sure you're oh, okay. boy. And it's such a dangerous plot device, right? Like, it's men in black pens. Yeah. Right? You, you yep. might as well just have a pen. Like, why even try to hand wave this away with science? Yeah. Just be like, men in black pens. Yep. Yep, exactly. So It's too bad uh, she didn't wake up in the middle of Data, like, putting her back in her bed and go, do you flashy thing me, Data? Do you flashy thing me? Don't play with me. How many times do you flashy thing me? <laughs> So, I mean, that's where we wind up with this episode. And, and um, uh, my my wife walked in while I was watching this the second time around. And, like, her reaction to it was, was about the most genuine, which is just like, what, th that's what we're doing? Like, that's, <laughs> like, that's we're just going to leave it right there? I'm like, yeah, I, I, I guess. Yeah, like, that's. that's and, and guess what? That's the compassionate solution. Yeah, that is presented as the, oh, well, this was the right thing to do. Huh? I have so many questions. <laughs> yeah, it's um, and I mean that's pen pals, right? Like that's that's the episode. That's where we leave it. And that we have this conversation with Data and Picard in Picard's ready room, where he's like, "I'm sad. She won't remember me." And he's like, "Yeah, I guess you'll remember her though. So it's fine, right?" Yeah, I mean Picard might as well said. Well, she wouldn't have remembered you if her planet got destroyed, too. So <laughs> get on back out there. <laughs> so go do your job. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's... Yeah, boy. As if Data isn't... Doesn't have... Like, anytime Data has a lapse in memory, we have an entire episode about that. Like, he remembers every second of every day that he's been active, right? So, of course you're going to remember her, Data. This isn't a yeah. sentimental thing. You're a robot. God, how cool, how, how good of a pull would that have been if in the rare situations where he gets an emotion chip, 
he just like immediately locks onto that memory and becomes like a yes. mess <laughs> you know right like, like yeah wouldn't he <laughs> <laughs> i mean i i probably would that's messed up <laughs> that's a messed up thing to do i yeah ugh Oof. Okay, well, do we have uh, anything else we want to talk about? Uh, good, bad, indifferent, nitpicky, or uh, do we want to move on? Because we've we've covered a lot of ground on this one. Um, oh, I, I I mean, the alternative title I have for a this... question. Oh, I got a quick I have one. a question regarding... The alternative title for this episode should be Planets Live Fast and Die Hard, <laughs> based on the Riker line at the beginning. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> These That's planets good. live fast and die hard. God, I completely forgot about that. Wow, yeah. That's a good line. Nice. <laughs> Sorry, nice. Dean. No, I just have a brief question, and I don't think it requires an answer, but um, throughout this whole discussion of Prime Directive, nobody is saying that Wesley shouldn't save the planet. And yeah. I, that's not a question, <laughs> right? I guess. It's a statement. But nobody is... Uh, Wesley saves the planet, and they're like, all right, cool, that was the right thing to do. Nobody has any questions about whether or not they should save the planet really <laughs> yeah yeah the decision is made and everybody's like i guess this is what yeah, we're it's, doing it's yeah it's more like yeah should we make sure the planet stays habitable and like for the life forms on it nah, i guess we could take them or leave them we just want the planet to be cool like that yeah that is the vibe that is the vibe huh? well and uh, also yeah. i i would like to point out that um they have such a weird attitude about saving an entire planet, right? Like, Wes is the only one who's like, we did it! And everybody else is like, <clears throat> yep. We're all going to get court-martialed for this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So It's a weird... Boy, yeah. I, I mean... Hmm. So what do we think about this episode? I mean, we, we've talked about the Prime Directive, how it's problematic. We've talked about, uh, you know... I, I, mean, I was wondering... I was wondering if... Because it's come up a few times that they were trying to sneak the Borg in here before um, <laughs> before they come up very soon. Uh -huh. um, and it, it kept crossing my mind, and I couldn't find any hint that that was what it was. But um, it would have been interesting if there was another race, someone like the Borg, that um, had been destroying these planets or something. Uh, like, for a whole bunch of these planets to get destroyed at once. Um, and to find out that it was... Paul, they do say... They do say at the very beginning... Um, there's a there's a conversation between Riker and um, and Worf, and Riker's basic or Data basically presents this as there's a weird activity going on. These planets are destroying themselves and becoming asteroid belts, mm -hmm. and uh, and Riker says we got to figure out why, and Worf says, do we think that this is like an outside force like like a malice a malicious actor and Riker says no not at all this is just yeah, uh absolutely. geology <laughs> we got to figure it out yeah and and maybe that's the hint that you're looking for yeah and, and that could be yeah that could be a hint right that I, I don't know. Somebody <laughs> might have been thinking that, but man. Well, know. in this episode did, I, I will throw this out there. This episode did get uh, more rewrite, uh, more, more, you know, drama in the writer room treatment. So much so that uh, Winrich Colby, who is the director of the episode, um, wasn't ultimately super thrilled with it. He said... Um, in regards to this episode, he said it was an intriguing episode, though I'm not quite sure I did it justice. He felt that the premise didn't go far enough. Uh, he's on record as saying, quote, it was one of those situations where I said, come on, guys, let's push this thing. The relationship the relationship between Serjenka and Data is something that you want to explore. Data's a machine. 
How far can he go before he becomes a threat to either himself or the little girl or somebody else? He feels like there was a lot of like techno babble and jargon that was put into this episode sort of beyond his control. Um, also, Maurice Hurley, who is the showrunner, said he was lukewarm on the final results. He said uh, a lot of the episode got muddled around, mucked up, kind of lost its purity, although he thought ultimately it worked out, quote, okay. Um, but this does seem like another episode that um, there was a draft one and then there were multiple rewrites before we, we ultimately got it, I guess. This is also, I believe, the only location shoot um, of season two. Uh, which is the horse stuff. <laughs> so I wonder if they... Oh, I was going to say, like, what part? And yeah, I guess it's um, yeah. interesting. Yeah. So, okay, so where do we where do we feel, where do we land with this episode? Is this, uh, do we thumbs up, do we thumbs down? Is this in the watch list, or is this one best left warped right on by and let it uh, live fast and die hard? Uh, Dean, what do you say? Now, I haven't been watching every episode as you guys have been... Uh, doing this sort of week to week, so I I, I skip around a lot between all the series, and mm-hmm. so uh, when we were preparing to do this show, I you know I I watched only this episode in season two, and I would say that from what I recall of season two, this is one of the most Star Trek episodes uh, that I can recall. I I think it I think it hits um, you know that 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 big moral. I think it also talks a lot about chain of command and uh, and what we're supposed to be doing. Um, I, I think it's a really Star Trek episode. That said, I think it's also a really boring episode. It's just it just plays <laughs> through, and uh, there's there's nothing that spectacular about it. So I would say it is um, it is really a middle of the road episode for me. But uh, definitely include it in uh, an early watchers uh, catalog of episodes to see. Okay, so ultimately a thumbs up. Hmm. Paul, what do you say? Yes. Boy, I did not expect to be here. Um, <laughs> this was a good discussion. Um, boy, that and boy, that's exactly what these episodes should not be doing. Just saying, this is a good discussion. Um, (laughs) I walked into this pretty confident I was going to say watch Um, I've always had a soft spot for this this episode that I was trying not to to let um, sort of sway me but I've thought that this was a good prime directive episode largely because it makes them make some choices Uh, but at the same time the pitch you're selling Burns that this is largely where it just doesn't start to make sense is big and the question of well one of the things i was originally going to pitch was the the next really good prime director episode we're going to have is uh who watches the watchers and i think that's is that season three or is that even later i think it's season three three. yeah that's coming up not too far from now wow that is like yeah it's like eight episodes from now wow um and I was going to sort of make the argument that you can't have that one without this one. That this really sets up the argument that's made in what I what I <laughs> what I consider to be a better one. I don't know if it's going to be better when we get back to it. But um, at the end of the day, this is muddled, and it is a case where the prime directive does just keep showing these flaws, and it makes it hard to understand how this has held up as a Starfleet rule, but also just really leaves it dangling that 
if this is a rule that is absolute, then at the end of the episode, somebody needs to pay for the things they did, right? Right or wrong. If Starfleet is saying this is absolute, then it follows that somebody needs to have a, a, a trial here. And the fact that they just ignore that and let it sail off kind of paints a picture that Starfleet doesn't necessarily care as much as they think about the Prime Directive, right? Mm -hmm. And that's weird. That's, that's, that's really weird. So, boy, I, I do have a soft spot for this episode. I, yeah, I, but I think I'm going to have to say skip on it. Wow. Ooh. Okay. So we got one that's, for, we got one that's against. That's intense. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. Man, and, and I really walked in thinking I was going to watch, but yeah, yeah, you guys have, have really raised some good points. I, um, <clears throat> I, I don't, I, I watch this episode infrequently. It's one of those ones that I think back on and I don't remember the specifics about the episode very much. I remember the kid. I remember data. Um, I remember it's a prime directive episode and that's about it. And it's when I watch it that I start to go through the roller coaster of emotions, which is at first, oh, there's some good stuff here. This isn't so bad. Um, and then the more it kind of hangs out there, um, the, the more it pushes itself closer to its ultimate conclusion, which is to push itself right off of a cliff. Um, to, to me, the, the resolution of this episode <laughs> not only doesn't actually resolve the episode, not only does it not effectively deal with the moral quandary that is what they've done with the Prime Directive, it turns most of the crew into uncaring, horrible monster people. Um, they could have effectively lobotomized a little kid. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> and, um, and they, for, you know, they don't know that they didn't, right? Like, we, like yeah, they yeah. take the child and That's place fair. her <laughs> in her bed, and then they're just like, see ya. You know? Well, she could wake up and be like, Data? Where's Data? Yes, or she could right? wake up and say, Apple scab, hablabble, kablabble, <laughs> and be like that for the rest of her life. Um, so I I really hate what they did to this episode at the very end of it, and, and for that reason, I have to say, even though there's some good stuff in here, and I, I feel like there's, there's, there's good in it, um, yeah. you kind of got to just go right on past this one because they really I mean this is for me I think a prime example of like man when you don't stick the landing and when you screw it up that bad your score goes from like a nine point something to like one or zeros because ouch that's bad um, so I gotta say skip I uh, yeah boy yeah. wow wow I feel bad too I like I this stand episode. alone in I my principles. soft spot but, yeah <laughs> they didn't you're right they didn't stick the landing yeah. and that's and, Man. Uh, yep, yep. So, but hey, I really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, and and uh, as always, yeah, Dean, it's great to have you on the show. So thanks for coming on. Thanks. Thanks very much, fellas. Really appreciate it. Happy to do it. Dean, how can people find you online? Uh, I am on Twitter and I guess Instagram. And both yeah, of those are at the American Dean. I was just complimenting some of the drawings hey. that, that you were doing before we were recording. So well worth a follow. Oh, thanks. And if, um, if, if I'm any uh, betting person, uh, I believe we will hear your voice again sometime down the road. But until then, I'm the Jason. Time horses show up, right? What? Oh, and I'm Paul. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, always remember to clean up your messes with the Prime Directive and don't let any lobotomies, you know, slow you down. God. I'm going uh, to have some cake from Worf's uh, ascension ceremony. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, I actually have cake here, so.